There have been a lot of studies and done in recent years that talked about the way that you see yourself determines, to a large degree, the way you act. That your self-perception, your self-worth, your self-esteem tends to be a governing factor in your life. See, if you see yourself as a loser, you will end up, to a large degree, acting like a loser. If you see yourself as a victim, you tend to let people victimize you. If you see yourself as uncreative, then you never come up with any creative ideas. Now, this is no new discovery. Thousands of years ago, Solomon writes in the Bible, Proverbs 23, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, the Bible teaches very clearly that your belief will determine your behavior. The beliefs that you have about yourself, they go way back to childhood. Unfortunately, some of those beliefs, and in some cases, many of those beliefs, are erroneous. They're false. When you were a kid, do you remember going through those fun houses, seeing those mirrors that were warped, They would make you look big, or skinny, or tall, or short. You would look at those mirrors, and you would get a distorted image of yourself. Because you grew up with imperfect people around you, we often get distorted images about ourselves. So today I would like to look at what does God say about you. What does the Bible say? See, the Bible tells us the truth will set us free. It is the truth that will set us free from our hang-ups. We are continuing a sermon series dealing with the book of 1 Peter. And Peter is writing to some very discouraged believers who are taking some heavy hits on their self-esteem. Because they're being persecuted... They're being fed to the lions. They're being hounded out of the towns by the Roman Empire. They have pretty rough going. So Peter in the first chapter tells this, this is what God has done for you. And that can be encouraging. In chapter 2, Peter talks about what God says about you in your notes. We have four characteristics that Peter mentions about what you are. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, four titles of what you are. Let's read those together. Number one, you are a chosen people. Number two, you are a people belonging to God. Number three, you are a royal priest, a holy nation. And number four, Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Then Peter adds in verse 9, all those old titles of God's people in the Old Testament now belong to you. So I'll share the four things that this passage is saying to us today. Four characteristics about those in God's family. Number one, I am acceptable. If I am 
a member of God's family, if I believe in Jesus, I am acceptable. Most of us spend our entire lives trying to earn acceptance. We want to earn acceptance from our parents. We want to earn from our peers. When we go to school or when we're a place we work, we want to earn it from our partners. We want to earn acceptance from the people that we respect for ourselves. The drive to be accepted is a deep drive that drives you to do all kinds of things. It can influence the kind of clothes that you wear. It can influence the kind of car that you buy. Your desire to be accepted can influence the kind of house that you buy, the career that you choose. Now, would you agree that people and kids will do the craziest things just to be accepted? Kids' desire to be accepted will even overrule the desire for personal safety. We love that feeling to be say, I'm okay, I'm accepted. Someone has chosen me. In fact, do you remember those days when you would divide up in teams and the two best players would be the captains and they were choosing up sides and you would say, I hope that I'm chosen soon. I hope that I get chosen by my friend's team. If you were not chosen, how great it felt if you were. How bad it felt if it got down to the last two or three and you were still not chosen. We love the feeling of being accepted, to be chosen for an award, for a promotion, for some special opportunities. Why, one of the happiest moments in my life is the day that my wife chose me. Of course, I had to knock off a dozen of her boyfriends first to eliminate the competition. But I was accepted. My wife chose me. To be chosen does tremendous things to your self-esteem. So Peter writes, you were chosen by God. Yeah, you were actually chosen by God. That ought to raise your self-esteem. But also look at Romans 15, verse 7, where Paul says, Christ has accepted you. There are no conditions listed there. It's not based upon your performance. It's not based upon what you earned. You never deserved it. But Jesus says, I have chosen you. See, too often people, they make a big deal about that phrase. I have chosen Jesus. That's even poor theology in the first place. But more important, the Bible says the reverse is really true. It's Jesus has accepted you. Jesus has chosen you. And you haven't earned it. You don't have to prove yourself. That's the good news. Looking at Psalm 27, verse 10, the psalmist says, Even if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will what? Receive me. The fact is that some of you really do have unpleasable parents. No matter what you did, it was not good enough. The tragedy is that even today, some of you are still trying to prove yourself to your parent. You're still trying to earn their acceptance. Let me say two things here. In all likelihood, you're not going to get it. 
If you haven't freely given to you that acceptance, you're not going to get it. But that's really their, their problem. Secondly, you don't really need it. You don't need to be that to be happy. Because you have been accepted, the Bible says. You have been chosen, the Bible says, by God. I'm a child of God. Number one, I'm accepted by God. And you know it's number two. The second thing is that Peter says, I am valuable. I am valuable. Let me ask you, how much do you think you are worth? How much are you worth? Now, this is not your net worth. And you know it's not your net worth, but your self-worth. Don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. Don't confuse your valuables with your value as a person. So how much are you worth? What do you think determines your value? First, it depends on what someone is willing to pay. Yeah. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23. Paul writes, You have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to him. Jesus Christ was willing to pay with his own precious blood, his suffering and death on the cross. Look at what he was willing to pay for you. If you were the only sinner of all the people in the world, Jesus Christ would still have given his life on the cross for you. You're worth that much. How much is your self-worth in light of what Jesus now has done for you? In your notes, the cross. The cross proves your value. And many of you wear crosses. The cross proves your value. Shows how much you are worth to God. Now a second thing that determines value besides what someone is willing to pay is who owned it before. Sometimes who has owned it before simply makes it valuable. If you try to buy a baseball bat owned by Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa, you would find that the value is very much higher than that old bat that you have in your garage. If you chose to buy a car that was once owned by Elvis Presley, do you think its value would be greater than a car that you owned? A pair of stinky, worn-out tennis shoes sold for several thousand dollars at an auction. Why? Because they happened to be owned by a fellow named Michael Jordan. Who, who, has, who has owned it? Who has owned it makes, gives it greater value. Does that make sense? Then think again about what was paid for you. Think about what owns you. You have been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. With his life, God exchanged his own son for you. That's how valuable you are. I love you this much, Jesus said, dying on the cross. Now, Peter uses an illustration in this passage to show our value. On the back of your notes, look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.4. Come to the Lord, the living stone, rejected as worthless by men, chosen as valuable by God. You also, our living stones are being built into a spiritual house. See, the house that God is building represents his family. And you and I are some of the stones. And Peter says that the living stone 
was rejected by men. That living stone was Jesus. Jesus was perfect, yet he was rejected by some people. And sometimes we are thinking, if only, if only I could be perfect, then I would be more accepted. No, you wouldn't. Jesus was perfect, and he was not accepted by everyone either. God chose Jesus as the living stone, and therefore he had what? He had value. He was valuable to God. God is building his church, and Jesus is the cornerstone of this spiritual building. This is the stone that holds the building together. Every believer is a building stone, a block in God's spiritual family. We are. Peter is saying living stones. That's kind of a contradiction, though. Like jumbo shrimp, government efficiency, political ethics, hot ice. A living stone seems to be oxymoron. And a contradiction. But in God's church, Peter says you are a living stone. If you have an advanced degree, then I presume that you would be Dr. Livingstone. Just a thought. In your notes, number three. The third thing Peter says is, I'm capable. So number one is I'm acceptable in God's family. Number two, I'm valuable. If I'm a believer, I'm capable, I'm competent. Peter says, you are a royal priest. So what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, priests did two things. In your notes, number one, priests would go directly to God in prayer. Yeah, priests go directly to God in prayer. They would talk to God in worship, fellowship with God. The people would have to go through the priests. And only the priest would go behind the curtain of the temple into the presence of God with the prayers of the people. Now, Peter says all believers now have that ability to go directly to God in prayer, in Jesus' name. We are royal priests. And number two, priests also would represent God to the people. They represent God to the people. They would minister and serve people in the name of God. And all believers now, Peter says, are ministers of God. And we each represent God in the ministries and the service that we perform to meet the needs of people. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. You are God's instrument to do his work. See, the curtain is removed. Peter says, all believers now minister. We are gifted for ministry. Every Christian at St. John, we say, are, is a minister. Look at 2 Timothy 1.9. He saved us and chose us for his holy work. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan before the world began. So what does that mean? In your notes, it means that we are saved to serve. And we are saved to serve. Why did God save you? So that you can serve him. Really, a non-serving Christian is a contradiction. If you're not serving, what on earth have you been saved for? We are saved to serve. Or in your notes, we are shaped. We are shaped by God for a purpose. Shaped for a purpose. 
We have talents. We have spiritual gifts, a personality and a passion that God has given to each of us. He has shaped us for his purpose. So look at 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of service to God. The Holy Spirit displays God's power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. All of you together are the one body of Christ. Each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. I want you to circle those words, necessary part. God says that you are necessary in the church. You are a necessary part of God's spiritual house. If I don't use my talents, then you get cheated. And if you don't use your talents, others get cheated. We are all necessary parts. So why am I talking about this? Because today, really, in your notes... There's an epidemic. Today there's an epidemic in America of low self-esteem. We live in a put-down society. Most people do not feel good about themselves. You're asking, do I really count? Even though you may be successful on jobs, you ask, do I have a purpose, a place in God's kingdom? People remind us what God says, because the truth will set us free. Because once you have your area of ministry, your self-esteem will rise. And that's why I'm here. That's my purpose, you will say, when you are doing what God has made you for. Number four, in your notes. The fourth thing Peter says is, I'm forgivable. So number one, I'm acceptable. Number two, I'm valuable. Number three, I'm capable. And number four, Peter says, I'm forgivable. Notice what Peter says, you have received mercy. You have received mercy. Sometimes when you are having a problem, you think perhaps God is punishing you. That God is just simply trying to get back at you. It's sort of like that guy that was driving up the mountain to his cabin. Started snowing, so he gets out and he puts chains on his car. A big truck comes along, slams into his car, Goes over the cliff. He loses his car. So he starts walking. Walking in the snow and the sleet. He catches the cold. He's feeling terrible. He finally rounds the corner and sees his cabin. It's been burned down. He went to the nearest rock. Starts banging his head and says, Why me, God? Why me? The heavens parted. A voice says, Because some people just tick me off. Some of you really feel that that way God feels that way about you at times. Does God really treat his children that way? No. No, he doesn't. Just look at these passages. Isaiah 43, verse 25. It's I am the God who forgives your sins. I do this because I am who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. See, in your notes, God doesn't rub it in. God doesn't rub it in, he rubs it out. God forgives. And then in your notes, God doesn't rehearse it. God doesn't rehearse it and rehearse it, but God releases it. God forgives, he releases your sin. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 4. Through what Christ would do for you, 
God decided to make us holy in his eyes. Without a single fall, we stand before him covered with his love. The good news is that as a child of God, I'm forgiven. And my sins, they are wiped out. I stand before God covered with his love. And God's love is unconditional. God's love is constant. Looking again at Isaiah 54, verse 10. The mountains and hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end, says the Lord who loves you. That has to make you feel good. God loves you. God has chosen you. God will never stop loving you. Dr. Charles Cooley, sociologist, he says your self-image, your self-esteem is determined to a large part by what you think the person who matters most to you thinks about you. So I ask, does Jesus matter to you? Does what God says about you matter to you? He loves you. God has chosen you. And God gave his son to die for you on the cross. So number one, I'm acceptable. Number two, I'm valuable. Number three, I'm capable. Number four, I'm forgivable because of Jesus. So in your notes, Jesus matters the most to me. Amen.